It's Turning Points, where we tell both sides of the story. I'm Jake Rongholt. Tweet me at at Rongholt Sports. That's R-O-N-G-H-O-L-T Sports. Or you can find me on Facebook.com slash both sides of the story. I want to welcome in everybody that's been listening to this on Spotify, Stitcher, Radio Public, and of course, Anchor. We have Kelly Price of Fox 5 Atlanta to join us today to get a little more insight on what is happening in college football. Plus, Falcons training camp is opening up. And we also found out when NFL players are going to be wearing helmets and pads. So can't wait to hear that. Plus, we'll have our top five turning points of the the week of August 14th and our right and wrong segment where one NBA team finally got it through their head, finally did, and understood that these were the three words that were missing from their mentality, starting from scratch. And speaking about starting from scratch, if you're listening to turning points for the first time, Let me tell you a little something about what we do here. We go to the other side of the story, the underdog aspect, the dark horse, the reality of the situation, because I feel like there's just too much one-sided sports media out there. All right, enough talk. Let's get to our top five turning points, and you know the drill. It's five minutes, four, three, two, one. Here are your top five turning points for the week of August 14th. 2020 and the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12 are planning on playing come September 26th. Plus, the Big 10 and the Pac-12 have said goodbye to their season. They've actually postponed it. And let me tell you why they should play. Because I actually do feel like this is important. Just like in the pros, college needs to make money for themselves. And the highest paid was the Big Ten last year in profit. But the second was SEC that made over $720 million last year. And the ACC only made $465 million. However, they got themselves a golden goose with Notre Dame football, who last year made over $112 million. They actually had the seventh most profitable product out there in college football. So you can definitely tell why this is going to happen. And the Big 12... Well, they want football. I mean, that's the way that Texas high school football always has been. They're actually working on trying to get a season. So why not Texas and Oklahoma? Red River Showdown. That's what you want. You got Texas Tech. You got Texas A&M playing in that as, as well, even though they're in the SEC. And then Baylor. Baylor was a great story last year with Matt Rule, now in Carolina. Now you get to see what they're going to do there. And also another thing is, and you're going to hear this in our interview, but let me just give you a little preview When I talked to Kelly Price of Fox 5 Atlanta, she told me that SEC can actually afford COVID-19 testing. And that is a big plus there because when you're looking at a college football enterprise like they have, and you have amateurism with your athletes, you have these elite athletes that are not getting paid. All they're getting is scholarship money for playing this, and they are taking the biggest risk. However, if you tackle this situation, what the SEC, like what they're doing, like what the ACC is doing, then you will have that potential chance of having a college football season at least start. I'm not saying finish, but at least start. However, there is another side to this story, and that is they should not be playing. Because when you got your president of the NCAA coming out and saying, quote, that there will be no fall championships in the NCAA, There is always something else to this because the only thing that is making money right now is college football. College soccer doesn't make it. College volleyball doesn't make it. You don't get it for college track and field either. And Mark Emmert came out and said that there will be no fall championships. 
but for some reason we're having college football. And you wonder to yourself, why is that? Well, it's because of the money. Simple as that. It's the biggest money maker. And but you also look at this with Division Two and Division Three. I mean, what up? The NCAA was fine with that. They were like, no problem, Division Two, Division Three. You guys take those the fall off. We'll see you in the spring. Pat Forty, senior writer for Sports Illustrated, was on the Big Ten Network, and this is what he had to say about the Big Ten playing in the fall. A belief in the background, we may not get to the schedule. And then as the week went on, that kind of became a drumbeat. Is the Big Ten not going to play? And you start hearing that more and more. And then the MAC on Thursday, they were supposed to announce a schedule model, and they didn't. This is getting ridiculous now. And you just thought, just when you thought that this was starting to come to an end, now people are going after the Big Ten commissioner, Kevin Warren. It's the parents of the Big Ten that are writing out letters to Kevin Warren asking for more information on this. I understand this, but I want this done in a private place. I don't want to hear about this in the public. I don't want to be hearing interviews from parents or anything like that because you have to understand health and safety of players that are not being paid like the pros are is something that has to be said. It has to be said. It can't just be out there because the flat out point is, is that I want football. I have loved college football. I have Wisconsin jerseys, Miami jerseys, Alabama t-shirts. I am ready and rolling for this. But I also look at the other part of this and it just doesn't feel like this is going to happen. In fact, I'm going to tell you that the Big 12, I don't think the Big 12 is going to be able to sustain a college football season it doesn't matter what they can do but they were actually in the bottom five of profit last year with 377 million dollars that's a step below of the mountain west and just a step higher than the pac-12 think about that for a moment 377 million compared to what sec and the acc are doing right now the big 12 is like it's just a little fish in a bigger pond right now and it doesn't feel like they're going to be welcomed and not to mention, when you have Emmer out there talking about no-fault championships, what does that mean for bowl games? Does that mean we're going to have a national championship? Because to me, and I hear this all the time in the pros, that they want asterisk on the NBA, on Major League Baseball. No, no, no. The real asterisk should be in college football because this is not fair. The Big Ten and the Pac-12 have said no to the fall. They're going to wait for the spring. And just because you got SEC, ACC, and the Big 12 out there, even though it'll be fun to watch, it's still just going to feel kind of empty. And I understand that there, of the 13 of the 25 teams, 11 of them were in the top 15 that were in those three conferences. I get it. But we're missing that aspect of all the Power Five conferences playing. If these two aren't playing, why are they? I understand why the SEC and the ACC are, but the Big 12, I mean, come on. When did we ever say to ourselves, man, I wish that the Big 12 had football right now? Because honestly, I don't see it. Speaking about that, let's get out to turning point number four. And let's talk about the NBA bubble. Now, first off, this season has been a success. I mean, think about it. We had Luka Doncic versus Giannis Antetokounmpo. We had the Rockets come back on the Mavericks in the in the second night. 
And we were just, we were begging and pleading to wonder what was going to be with the LA Lakers. No Avery Bradley, Rajon Rondo was hurt. And now what? Well, now we're seeing the Lakers struggling and everybody is loving it. Just because they're the number one seed does not necessarily mean that they want them to succeed. There are people out there that want them to fail. When you're 23rd in the NBA in turnovers, 24th in three-point shots made, that's something to be alarmed about, even though you have LeBron James. But this is one thing about LeBron James that we know well, is that he is waiting for playoff LeBron. Well, I hope that playoff LeBron is getting on the plane right now because starting Tuesday, they will be playing the Portland Trailblazers. And how about this for a story? The Portland Trailblazers came in at number nine of the teams in the Western Conference. They were outside looking in and they wanted that seed. And Memphis was struggling mightily. And first off, I saw that play-in game and it was epic. But man, watching the Grizzlies not being able to draw a foul while shooting was mind-numbing to me. Even though John Morant was giving an epic performance with 35 points on the day, he was hitting three-point shots, it was just not enough because CJ McCollum steps up. Damian Lillard brings it again. I mean, Damian Lillard, 61, 42, 31 points in his last three games. Carmelo Anthony has come out of nowhere and he dropped 20 points against the Grizzlies and now it feels like this could be the team that could give the Lakers a run for their money and how much better could that be not to mention Houston is going to be in this the Clippers are the most loaded team and it's it's just going to be a lot of fun I can't wait Easter Conference still a mess but it's been fun I mean I can't wait to watch the Raptors battle it out and try and see if they can be that team that represents in the Eastern Conference for the second year in a row. Not to mention, we had extensions this year. Contract extensions to Pacers coach Nate McMillan, who got a one-year contract extension. He's 181 and 136. He has brought the likes of TJ Warren out of nowhere to really shock the NBA and make something fun out of it. We also had Brad Stevens, who is... 56% winning percentage, and he got himself a contract extension. So what has been happening in this NBA bubble has been such a success. Plus, the coronavirus has been subsided. No positive tests since this bubble began. However, flip the script. This has also been deadly dull. Because outside of the Blazers and the Lakers, the Raptors... We've had to watch the Magic, and it's not because the Magic are bad. It's because Jonathan Isaac suffers a torn ACL. Aaron Gordon is hurt. They went three and five in the in the bubble. That was a mess. They're gonna still get in just by default. How about the 76ers? Who's tired of the 76ers? I seriously am. Three and four on the on the bubble. No Simmons. Are they going to improve or not? Is Tobias Harris going to be that guy that's going to help Joel Embiid? And we're going into a very difficult time now for the Sixers because now they have to start figuring out, is it Brett Brown's fault? Is it Joel Embiid? Is it Ben Simmons? Is it just Simmons? Is it Embiid? So we're going to have kind of like a demented version of love connection here because we have no idea where the love and where the connection is right now at the 76ers going forward. And I, I know everybody wants to say, oh, Philadelphia, Boston, that's going to be a great series. Forget it. Boston's going to get this in four games. 
and they'll be fine with it. Uh, the Wizards. I don't know why they were there. I don't understand why they decided to. No Bradley Beal, no John Wall. It was a bunch of young kids that were getting some minutes, and that's all that mattered. They went 1-7. I mean, I'm glad they were able to get a victory as they left the bubble. Kudos to them. Uh, the Suns. Talk about a story that just went nowhere. We wanted to see the Suns do well. 8-0, but it was all for naught. Because the Trailblazers ended that, ended that Cinderella story. So what was the point of watching all those Suns games, you may ask? That was my point. What, we're, we're looking back and going, okay, they're going to be back here in December. Here we go. I didn't know about that. Uh, Grizzlies, I <laughs> when I was watching that Grizzlies-Blazers game, I, I love the scrappiness. I love John Morant, but man, they got a mess of a team to fix. The Rockets now without Westbrook for the first round has strained, strained quadriceps. Kirk Heelan of Pro Basketball Talk confirmed that report. So now the Rockets are without their best player. I know everybody wants to take James Harden's their best player, but Russell Westbrook has been far more superior and helpful and versatile, and that is going to be a huge loss for the Houston Rockets. And now there is a potential chance that they could be out in the first round. So we'll find out with that. And then the saddest news, of course, was the 22-year playoff streak was snapped for Greg Popovich. For 22 years straight, the San Antonio Spurs represented in the Western Conference in the playoffs. 22 years, and it was unfortunately snapped. And now the future of the San Antonio Spurs is up in limbo. Is Greg Popovich going to return? I don't know what's going to happen. But like I always said, it was nice to see that the NBA was back but I also kept reminding myself that, man, sometimes watching basketball can be dull if the competition is not up to par. Let's head off to turning point number three, and let's talk about some teams that are, are up to par right now in Major League Baseball. First off, the good news. We have had surprise teams. The Baltimore Orioles, 12-8. The Rockies, 12-8. Tigers, above 500. First off, let's give a little round of applause for Ron Garnheyer. Okay, that's enough. And the Chicago Cubs. And I will apologize right now to all Cubs fans. I know I took the Reds to win the division. I don't know what I was thinking. My apologies. The Cubs have been playing fantastic baseball. Even though right now they're in a battle with the Milwaukee Brewers, the Cubs are on top of the conference for a reason. And not to mention the St. Louis Cardinals got a long way to go. And we'll get into that. Happy that they got their doubleheader won against the White Sox. <laughs> they got a long way to go. But the Cubs have been playing superb baseball. Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant have been hitting the ball nicely. The pitching has been superior by Kyle Hendricks, the professor, and John Lester. And how about that bullpen? I can't believe I'm saying this, but they may have solved the mystery of the closer with Jeremy Jeffress. We saw Craig Kimbrell. He was such a mess. Jeffress comes in, and he's doing far better. And they continue to use this Wick kid as well to uh, try and get a win out of it. So, hey, give credit to the Cubs. They've been the mo biggest surprise story. Uh, another surprise has been the stats. Jesse Winker. Okay, you're saying to yourself, who in the world is Jesse Winker? Well, he plays for the Cincinnati Reds, and he has the best OPS, not to mention a 365 batting average. You know who that's better than? Bryce Harper, Aaron Judge, and Jacoby Jones of the Detroit Tigers. And I know you're saying to yourself, Jacoby Jones, why do I care about him? Well, look at the stats. He's actually in the top five best hitters in baseball right now. 
which is crazy to me and it's weird to me, but I like it. And the Twins continue to play well right now and the Dodgers have been really fun. Uh, Padres are starting to kind of slip a little bit. Time to show that pitching depth is not as good as we thought it was going to be, but it is fun watching Fernando Tatis Jr. I can't get enough of this kid. 310 batting average, nine home runs, 21 RBIs, and a beautiful glove at shortstop. So, I mean, I can't I can't say any much more than that. Not to mention, I was losing my wording there for a moment. But we got to get to the side B, and that is the continued problem with trying to contain the coronavirus. Uh, Red and un- Identified Reds player tested positive for the coronavirus, so the Reds Pirates series was postponed. We still had Indian pitchers Zach Plesac and Mike Clevenger. They were sent home on a 72-hour quarantine and possibly, you know, tried to jeopardize the season for the Indians. The players were not happy about that. And then the Cardinals. This is the craziest story I've ever heard. Have you ever heard of a professional baseball team calling up 41 rental cars. Well, that's what I heard. 41 rental cars were ordered for the Cardinals, for the players that were tested positive. And only the ones that did not test positive rode on a bus to the south side of Chicago to play the White Sox. Otherwise, everybody else was driving in a rental car. You got to be kidding me with this. Not to mention, they've only played five games. They got two last night, which was great to beat the Chicago White Sox. Give them credit. But they got a long way to go. And then the Marlins. Marlins have only played 13 games. And you're saying to yourself, okay, the Cardinals and the Marlins, you know, they'll they'll be fine, Jake. They could just do doubleheader after doubleheader after doubleheader. Are you kidding me? It's not possible. If you're a St. Louis Cardinals fan, you got to be fuming right now that Major League Baseball let this happen because now you don't get that fairness. You don't get that potential to play at least 60 games. At the best, you might be able to play 40 at tops because you don't know if the Cardinals are going to be able to keep up this success. whoop de doo They got a doubleheader of, the, of Chicago. Good. One golf clap for that. And then not to mention... We don't know what to happen, is going to happen with the Marlins going forward. We don't know if we're going to get more positives here. So there's still that what-if situation, and it still feels like what I said last week. It's like in Disney's Hercules, where the witches in the underworld have that little piece of string, had their scissors ready, and just getting closer to snip-snip on the season. It's been a weird Twilight Zone-like season, and I still have no idea if we're going to get to 60 games let alone a postseason, because that's all Major League Baseball is hoping for is a postseason. Let's head off to turning point number two, and there is a league out there that is going full force on this, and it's because we got to see the first episode of Hard Knocks Training Camp LA with the Rams and the Chargers. Oh my goodness. Well, this was interesting to me because I wanted to see if there was socially distanced football. And guess what? I actually think the NFL will play a full season and they will be able to play a postseason and have a Super Bowl. Why? Because of what I saw in LA. The Rams have their own warehouse where they built up a field, they have a a to-go cafeteria, and they are tested daily. Every single player is tested daily. They had their masks on during the meetings, they were all six feet apart, but they're doing the daily testing, which I really do admire. Not to mention, and I got this report from Fox 5 Atlanta, is that 
they are not going to be able to do helmets and pads until August 17th. That's next week. Why this is happening? Because this kind of feels like a test going forward. But let's get to the other side. This thing is a mess because we've already had rookie linebacker Terrell Lewis for the Chargers quarantine. And guess what happens if you test positive? Hear this. You won't believe us because if you're a fantasy football fan out there, listen up. If you are tested positive for the coronavirus, you are out for 10 days quarantine and you have to pass two tests and make sure that they are negative. Plus, we don't know if we're going to get an outbreak like the Marlins and the Cardinals. There are no bubbles. They can't just play at one stadium. I watched the hard knocks. I enjoyed what I was seeing out of the players and Sean McVay and Anthony Lynn, you know, coming out and saying that he tested positive for it about a couple months ago. But honestly, the play on the field was dull. They're, they're going to start up helmets and pads next week. Is that really safe? We don't know. And we're going to this coming to this point where is this going to happen? And I don't know if it I don't know if it is, honestly. I would love to see it happen. I just told you one side, I, I want this to happen. The other side, I'm not sure. Even though the Rams and the Chargers are doing it correctly, is the rest of the 30 teams in the NFL also doing it in a correct way? We will find out. And let's finish off with our final turning point of the day. And I want to get just a little uh, sentimental here. Alex Smith, 21 months in the making. Alex Smith was removed from the physically unable to perform list. After 17 surgeries, he's been completing his workouts with the Washington football team without struggle. Remind yourself, this happened back in November 18th, 2018. I am very happy to just see Alex Smith up right now. And in fact, he was on uh, Outside the Lines and he had this to say about returning to football. You know, I'm as optimistic as ever that, that I can do this, that I, that I still have it in me, that, that there's enough there uh, that, I can go, that I can go out there and play. Um, that's not guaranteed, you know, and, and uh, that's, that's the scary part, you know, is to put yourself out there and, and to go try to take this on. And that was ESPN's Outside the Lines. Alex Smith was interviewed by Jeremy Schapp about uh, how he felt, you know, returning to football. Great interview. Uh, check it out if you can. I am not going to be that person because I'm going to go to side B. I'm not going to be that person that says, oh, he shouldn't play anymore. It's, it's just a miracle that he's okay. You know something? I saw Joe Theismann in 1981 when I saw what happened to Joe Theismann. But medical science has come such a far advanced turn right now. And it feels like if Alex Smith wants to play, if you're Ron Rivera, if you're even Daniel Snyder, and you see that Alex Smith wants to play, he wants to be your quarterback, you got to give him the chance. He is the one that is going to be dealing with this. He is going to be the one that's going to be in command of his health, not you. It's got to be Alex Smith. Alex Smith has had an incredible career. He's only thrown 43 interceptions since 2013. His completion percentage is an average in the last six years, 65%. Now, I know you're saying, oh, there are risks out there, Jake. You know what? Damn the risks. It took 21 months for him to come back. Let him find his rhythm. Let him have his decision. If he decides to play, great. If he doesn't want to play, great. But you know what? It's up to only one person and one person only. Alex Smith. 
not the sports media. All right, that's it for our top five turning points of the week of August 14th, 2020. Now, if you have any comments, concerns, or you feel like there's a subject out there that I'm just not talking enough about, tweet me at Sports. That's R-O-N-G-H-O-L-T sports. You can find me on facebook.com slash both sides of the story. And coming up, we're going to have Kelly Price from Fox 5 Atlanta to join us to talk about what's happening with Falcons training camp, the SEC COVID-19 concerns, what is going to be happening there. Plus, we got a little personal with our time in Green Bay. That's all coming up next. I'm Jake Rongholt. We're just getting warmed up here on the Turning Points podcast where we tell both sides of the story And you're listening to it right here on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. I'm very excited to bring our guests here on the Turning Points Podcast, where we tell both sides of the story. I'm Jake Rongholt. Tweet me at at Rongholt Sports. That's R-O-N-G-H-O-L-T Sports. I first heard about her when she was a guest on the Pack-A-Day Podcast with Andy Herman. She's no stranger to college and pro sports. She was in Green Bay for two years covering the Packers, and she celebrated her first year at Fox 5 Atlanta. Sports reporter Kelly Price is on the line. You can tweet her at at the Kelly Price. And Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. You got to do a story on your one-year anniversary. What was it about? Yeah, thank you for for that billing. Um, uh, But yeah, uh, the one year anniversary story I got to do actually was the opening day for the Braves, which obviously everything right now looks so different than we could have predicted a year ago. Um, But opening day was actually in July this year, which is insane um, for for the Braves at Truist Park. And I went up to the 15th floor of the hotel that is next to Truist Park in uh, the Battery Atlanta and got to tell an awesome story about some pretty sweet suites that people can go up there and rent for games. They have game day packages for fans and um, got got the money to spare. It's definitely a great view up there. How did you do being on the 15th floor? No fear of heights or anything? No, it is a little weird to look down. I don't know if I could watch a game from there because it is, you know, very high up point of view. Your neck might get a little sore looking down that long, but um, but it's definitely breathtaking. I mean, you can see some mountains off into the distance. Um, the, the terrain is beautiful there and um, great, great view. What is the one big difference that fans are saying right now about uh, the park? Well, obviously, with no fans in the stands, um, it's it's a little bit hard to, you know, I mean, there's only one way to watch it in person, and it's from this hotel, basically. Um, there's no other way you can see it in person. I mean, they have, you know, fan parties outside. The Battery Atlanta is like the area outside Truist Park, and they have, um, like, these concourses where people bring, you know, their lawn chairs, and they sit and watch it on a big screen together and socially distance and all that during this day and age, but... Um, obviously that's way different than being able to be in the stands. The only people in the stands are those cardboard cutouts these days. She's Kelly Price, sports reporter for Fox 5 Atlanta, joining us here on the Turning Points podcast where we go both sides of the story. Let's get into it with the Atlanta Braves. Uh, Unfortunate news happened with Ronald Acuna. What's the latest on his wrist injury? Yep, so last night, manager Brian Snicker told us that he's going to be out for the series with Miami. Um, They're off today on Thursday, but they're going to be heading down there for a series beginning on Friday and they're going to have no Ronald Acuna Jr. And that's their 
all-star leadoff man. So obviously that's a huge hit for them. Um, he hit three homers against the Phillies on Sunday, but he's had inflammation in his left wrist the last three days. And all those three days, the Braves lost. I'm not saying it's connected, but he was starting to get um, kind of started because he had a very slow start to the beginning of the season and Acuna started kind of hitting his stride right before this. The other part of that is Ozzy Albies is on the injured list with right wrist soreness as well. So he will not be there. Um, he's completely on the injured list. So he's out for an even more extended period of time. And those are two of the Braves' biggest bats. So a big loss for them going forward. And believe it or not, the Marlins are actually leading the NL East. I looked this up today, but this it's because crazy. they have less games. They're 8-4. The Braves are 11-9. and nine, So they've played 20 games, obviously you know, a lot more than the Marlins have, but they're leading the division, which is kind of crazy. If you watch the NL East, um, the division is not what it's shaken out. It has not shaken out to be what people thought it was going to be. I mean, the Nats don't look as good. The Phillies don't look as good. Um, and somehow the Marlins are leading this thing right now. <laughs> On the other side, though, who are they looking for to kind of help uh, pick up the slack with Wakuna uh, and uh, Albies? Um, that's kind of the TBD, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, right now. Um, Freddie Freeman is always a guy that they look to. Um, Dansby Swanson had a really start, really a good start to the season, but has kind of cooled off in recent games. Nick Markakis came back. He had opted out of the season, but came back um, a couple games ago. He's been pretty good in, in the times that he's been back. Um, but that's that's kind of the question they're trying to figure out right now. Let's go to the other side, and that is the pitching right now. They lost Mike Soroka. What is What are they doing differently with the pitching? Uh, that's been a question mark the last couple of uh, series. Yeah, that Mike Soroka Achilles tear was brutal for the Braves. Of course, he is their ace. He was their opening day starter. He's the guy that they were going to be leaning on in that starting rotation. Max Freed, outside of him, is really the only other starter who's had any success this year. He's got a 1.59 ERA. He seems to always get run support. Um, but outside of that, Tuki Toussaint has a 7.27 ERA. Oh. Wesker uh, Inoua has an 8.1 ERA. And uh, Kyle Wright has a 6.75 ERA. And Cole Hamels is still probably a few weeks away from coming back. Um, you know, so that's that's a big question is what is the starting rotation going to be able to do in the next couple of um, games. You know, like I said, Max Reed is kind of the only guy they have right now who's reliable. Their bullpen has been pretty good. Um, but you also you look at the score the last three games against the Phillies and the two against the Yankees, 28 to 17. So it's not like the Braves aren't putting up runs. They're just giving up a ridiculous amount of home runs. Um, I mean, the last three days, Bronx Bombers definitely lived up to that billing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, she's Kelly Price, sports reporter for Fox 5 Atlanta, joining us here on the Turning Points podcast, where we go both sides of the story. I'm Jake Rongholt. Let's talk about what is happening with the SEC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12 both postponed their fall seasons. SEC is going for it. What health and safety precautions is the SEC taking before practice starts August 17th? A lot, a lot of things. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so these are the kind of minimum standards for the SEC programs. I'll just kind of go through them. Um, they'll be testing um, in football specifically, I'm talking about. We've also got volleyball, soccer, cross-country specific protocols, but this is just for football. They'll be testing twice a week 
at least six days or three days before games. Um, everyone has to wear a mask as far as coaches, staff, anyone who's not competing. Um, they have to wear face coverings on the sideline, practice social distancing. Um, and interesting, as I was reading these protocols, I saw that they specifically said anyone who wears a mask has to be cognizant of wearing the mask over their nose, over both nostrils. So anyone who, like me, gets a pet peeve about people who wear the mask underneath their nose, that's not going to be flying with the SEC protocol. <laughs> um, they're also going to be limiting travel, of course, um, only kind of essential people, trainers, coaches, and players kinds of things. Um, but the procedures for if there is a positive case are such for an asymptomatic inf infection, um, the person has to isolate for at least 10 days from the date of the positive test. If they start developing symptoms and they go under the protocol for symptomatic infections, which is to isolate for at least 10 days from the beginning of their symptoms. And then they have to go more than 24 hours since their last fever without using fever reducing medicines before returning from that isolation. And then when they do return, whether it's asymptomatic or symptomatic individuals, the student athletes need to have a cardiac evaluation, clearance from a team physician, and they have to adhere to an appropriate period of acclimatization following that period of inactivity. Um, so lots of things in place. And of course, the SEC has their task force looking at stuff, evaluating, and evaluating information as it comes in, because as we all know, this stuff kind of changes so often. Um, and all this is kind of subject to change as we go on here. If they find, you know, one of these protocols doesn't work very well or something else needs to be put into place, there's measures for them to do that and add more, subtract as they see fit. Let's go to the other side. Is the SEC doing just a conference-only schedule or are they still trying to get non-conference? I believe they've come out and said they're only going to do the conference games, um, but I mean, this is a developing situation. I don't think that, um, I don't know. I mean, you see Nebraska's like, oh, well, we still want to play, so we might not even play in our conference anymore, and we might go have games with other people. Um, so, I mean, it's it's all very much developing, but the STC has said that they're going to go to an all-conference schedule, but does that mean that, you know, they might add some extra games? I, I, I don't know. It's kind of one of those things that's developing. Who is the team to beat in the SEC? team to beat in the SEC. Um, as someone who covers Georgia, I think um, <laughs> they're in that conversation every single year. Alabama, of course, is in that conversation every single year. Um, I mean, it's it's hard to tell right now, too. It's, it's hard to predict things specifically because of COVID-19, right? Like someone could get COVID-19 right now and be out for a game. So I, every week, each game is going to be so different and these rosters are going to be very much reliant on depth going forward. Right. So if your starting quarterback goes out, how good is your backup quarterback? That's how it's going to be, you know, across all sports. Um, if, if you have to deal with these protocols, you know, how good is your depth and can that sustain you successfully through the course of the season? She's Kelly Price, sports reporter for Fox 5 Atlanta, joining us here on the Turning Points podcast. Tweet her at, at the Kelly Price. I'm Jake Rongholt. Let's get into the Boomer Bus team right now, and that is the Atlanta Falcons. The Falcons defense last year was ranked 20th. They're projected to be 22nd. How does this defense surprise people this year? How do they surprise people? Well, um, I think you said it best, Boomer Bust. Um, this defense was 
not great in 2019, as anyone who watched them can attest to. They only had 28 sacks, the second fewest in the NFL. I think a way they could surprise people is obviously being better on the pressure front. Um, they let go of Vic Beasley. They brought in Dante Fowler. He looked like he was kind of finally figuring out the NFL, finally figuring out how to be a pro and be efficient when he was with Los Angeles. And from what we've heard from them so far, he's really bringing the juice. I've covered Dante since he was in high school, actually, as a um, high school football reporter for the St. Pete Times back in Tampa. Um, so I've known him for a really long time. He's a very spirited individual. He's the guy that brings juice. And from everything we've heard from his new teammates, they've kind of said the same thing. Um, the question mark for me on the defensive line, obviously they have Brady Jared. He was a pro bowler last year. He had a career high 7.5 sacks last year. The question mark is Tack McKinley. Um, the Falcons declined his fifth year option this past off season, which was not surprising, but it sent a message, I think, you know, put up or shut up kind of this year. And I think that my hypothesis on this is that Dante Fowler could potentially bring out the best in tack if he can kind of get the juice going and, and kind of bring some life to this defensive line. Because like I said, um, they had the second fewest sacks in the NFL last year and pressure was a huge problem for this defense. Um, the other make or break, break kind of position group for me is going to be the cornerback room. Um, they brought in AJ Terrell with their first round draft pick. He's someone that they're going to want to start immediately, depending on his learning curve. Isaiah Oliver and Kendall Sheffield kind of had a good ending to the season last year, but they're also very young. Um, so that's going to be an interesting group to see how that kind of shakes out. Their safeties, I think are very deep. Um, so I, I think that the defense is definitely going to have to improve just overall, right. Compared to last year, that was, that was their biggest liability. I mean, their offense was able to put up points with the best of them. But you know, if you allow 40 points a game like they did in Houston that one game, there's just really no way you can compete. Um, so that's that's going to be a huge area of growth that the Falcons hope to see. Yeah, it's amazed me about this because, you know, Dan Quinn started off really well. It was kind of like Jim Mora Jr. when he first got to Atlanta. You know, the defense was playing well. He's coming off that time in Seattle when he had the fourth best defense. He comes over here and it's, it hasn't been as impressive as people wanted it, especially after the Super Bowl debacle. Let's go to the other side of the story, and that is the offense. Hayden Hurst was brought in. Todd Gurley brought in for the Atlanta Falcons after Austin Hooper uh, took off for Cleveland. What can they do to improve this offense? Yeah, those are two guys who I think will maybe have a little bit of uh, diverging paths this year. Hayden Hurst is someone the Falcons are extremely high on. Matt Ryan has talked very highly of him this offseason. Hayden Hurst was actually driving up from his home in Jacksonville to work out with Matt Ryan during those kind of weeks where they weren't allowed to go into the NFL facilities together. So Matt Ryan has actually said he's one of the most athletic and one of the fastest tight ends he's ever worked with. And this is a guy who threw passes to Tony Gonzalez. So that's pretty high praise from the Falcons quarterback for their new tight end. So that's that's Hayden Hurst. Um, as far as Todd Gurley, he's going to be on a pitch count during the training camp, which immediately kind of throws up a red flag, I think, for most people because of that knee. The Rams released him for a reason. So we'll see, you know, his health as it develops here. But I think the guys behind Gurley in that running back room are going to be very important. Ryan Hill, Ido Smith, and Quadre Allison. They have to be prepared if Gurley goes down, which, let's face it, that's probably going to happen at least at some point, um, given Gurley's health. 
you know, we all want to see Todd Gurley be Todd Gurley, the one that we know. And he was so exciting to watch. And especially, you know, fans of Georgia football are also often fans of Atlanta Falcons football. And they would love to see their former Bulldog running back, you know, tear it up in the NFL. But I just, I don't know how his health is. It's still a question mark to me. They seem to be okay with it, but it still seems to be a big question mark for me. Another big question mark has been the word has been this word about uh, Tom Dimitrov and Dan Quinn. The word pivotal. What does that word mean now for fans and Dan Quinn's future with the team? Yeah, I mean this is absolutely a make or break year for both Thomas Dimitrov and Dan Quinn. I think a lot of people were surprised that there weren't any changes this past offseason after um, their poor back-to-back campaigns, really. Um, it's going to be, and, and no one is going to say that more than Dan Quinn himself. He said it a million times, you know, this is my put up or shut up year. I've got to get this right. Um, and to his credit, they made a lot of shuffling moves on the staff last year during the season and shook things up um, during their bye week in the middle of the year last year to kind of, kind of foster some innovation or new thinking or something to kind of get things going. And to their credit, the second half of the year was way better than that first half of the year. They started really, really poorly, and they just couldn't make up for it by the end of the season. So I think if they continue that momentum and kind of can feed off of that whenever the NFL season does start, I think that obviously bodes better for Dan Quinn and Thomas Dimitrov. But like you said, definitely a pivotal year for them. Let's talk about the NFL season trying to start on time. What are some of the health and safety protocols that the Falcons are doing? So they're getting tested every single day. And I believe that it's still the case that if they go under 5% positivity rate, then they go, get to go to every other day. Um, so that's what they're doing right now. And, you know, same thing with um, kind of the SEC and all the other protocols that we've seen. Quarantine, if you have the positive test. They cannot comment on players who have tested positive because of the rules. So they have like a COVID-19 list that they put people on, which means they were either exposed to someone or received a positive test. Doesn't necessarily mean that they are having symptoms, um, but they do have that list and they've had a couple guys cycle through that list already. What are they doing differently in training camp? Well, I haven't actually been to training camp, so I haven't seen anything um, up close and personal. They've limited the amount of media, first and foremost. That's why we haven't been able to go out there. We kind of have to take shifts in um, our sports department, and I just haven't gone yet. I'm actually going on Saturday for the first time, so I could definitely let you know a little bit more after I see it up close and personal. Um, But as of everything else, you know, everything's on Zoom. There's no in-person interaction with the players, which – is unfortunate, you know, from my point of view, because during training camp, we normally come up with some of the best stories of, you know, the fringe roster guys or the undrafted free agent who worked at Dunkin' Donuts for 10 years or, you know, making it in the NFL or whatever. Um, those are some of the best stories, in my opinion, that we get to tell during training camp and during this time. But obviously, we're not able to do any of that right now, which is a little unfortunate. So everything's on Zoom. We're not meeting the draft picks and stuff, which kind of thinks as well we're not able to form relationships with guys like AJ Terrell their first round draft pick um, as he's kind of getting acclimated to the league Um, but other than that today was the first day they put on helmets Um, pads don't start until later next week so that kind of stuff the acclimation period is still going to be the same amount of time it's just later than it would have been 
She's Kelly Price, sports reporter for Fox 5 Atlanta, joining us here on the Turning Points podcast, where we go both sides of the story. I'm Jake Rongold. Speaking of stories, you had a, a wonderful story about Georgia high school football, but the big story of this was the referee shortage. What is the latest on that? Yeah, so I talked to a bunch of football association officials in the Atlanta metro area who are having serious shortages of officials. Football associations in Georgia are contracted by the GHSA, the governing body of high school sports in Georgia, to officiate games. So normally they have six or seven fan crews on Friday nights on the sidelines making the calls at high school football games. But most of these association officials I talked to said that they're probably going to have to go down a five-man crew, which is obviously not ideal, not what they want. Um, many of these associations who have about 100 officials per organization are facing shortages or have had about a dozen or so veteran officials opt out of the season due to health concerns because of COVID-19. So obviously that's a huge problem. Recruiting and retaining officials is a problem anyways across the country every single year in all of high school sports. But this year it's even harder because of that added layer because of the health and safety protocols. On top of that, the GHSA hasn't really handed down any specific mandates for officials. So officials are concerned because there isn't consistency from place to place. Um, they could go to a school and get a temperature check or they could go to a school and not get a temperature check. Um, there's no mask mandate. There's some places, some um, associations that have the money to buy masks and you know face gators for their officials, but many don't have that money or they have money to give them hand sanitizer and ways to sanitize the ball and the chains, but many don't have that money. So there's a lot of discrepancy between association and association right now for officials, and they're concerned about the lack of consistency and uniformity in these health and safety protocols. Um, because obviously the GHSA is governing what schools and you know student athletes do in the state of Georgia, but no one's really regulating with these contracted officials, um, what they're doing and, and how they're going to be safe. So they're pretty concerned about their safety, which is why a lot of them are opting out and why they have all kind of expected more numbers to, um, you know, more opt-outs to come in. This continues to rattle my brain. Unbelievable what is happening right now in high school sports. A final question, Kelly. Uh, what was the one thing that you took from your time in Green Bay that you took to Atlanta with you? Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, it's hard because it's it's so different. Um, I think the two jobs have been so different for me. And in Green Bay, obviously, you just basically have the Packers, and it's like like quality over quantity. Here, it's quantity over quality. There's just so many more pro sports. There's college sports, high school sports. It's a huge deal here. Um, so the jobs really are kind of like apples and oranges. But I'd say the biggest thing that I kind of learned from that job that I take forward is just to build relationships. And it was great in the Packers locker room. We were able to talk with the players, you know, if they were in there. And like I mentioned with the training camp stories, like getting to know a guy when they first, you know, arrive at an NFL locker room is, is a really valuable thing for a reporter. And I really learned how to talk to players and just see that they're normal people when I was there. Um, you know, I'm not someone that has ever gotten starstruck or anything like that. I think to be in this industry, you can't be that way. You have to treat everyone as just 
a normal human being. They just make, you know, more money than you. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I think that's the biggest thing I learned in Green Bay is just, just talk to Devante Adams like he's a person, you know, and then they'll respect you and they'll always listen to your questions and respect your questions, even when, you know, maybe they had a terrible game and you have to ask them hard questions. They'll respect you and your job when they know that you're not out there to just get them. You're just doing your job and you're another person doing a job just like they're a person doing a job. Kelly, Kelly, thank you so much for joining us here on the Turning Points Podcast. Congratulations on celebrating your first year in Atlanta. You've done amazing work and uh, just keep it up. Thank you. I really appreciate that. All right, special thanks to Kelly Price, sports reporter for Fox 5 Atlanta. Tweet her at at the Kelly Price. You can find the rest of her stories on www.fox5atlanta/sports. The referee story was a fantastic one. Take a look at it for yourself. You will be pleasantly surprised at what has been happening in the state of Georgia. All right, we'll take time out. We're going to close it up here with our right and wrong segment at, right here on the Turning Points podcast. So don't go away because I'm going to tell you why. One NBA team finally resorted to these three words, starting from scratch. That's all coming up next on the Turning Points Podcast. I'm Jake Bronholt, and you're listening to it right here on Anchor, Spotify, and iTunes. Before we close it out with our right and wrong segment, and we're back here on the Turning Points Podcast, where we tell both sides of the story, I'm Jake Bronholt. Tweet me at at Ronghold Sports, that's R-O-N-G-H-O-L-T Sports, or Facebook.com slash both sides of the story. want to say thank you out there. If you are listening on Spotify, Anchor, and iTunes, it is because of you that we continue to do this podcast. There is a rumor out there right now that is in regards to the Big Ten possibly letting their teams go to the ACC, the SEC, for the heck of it. Unfortunately, this rumor is strictly a rumor because if you're not looking at Dan Walken or Pat Forty, Pete Thamel or Andy Staples, if none of these guys are talking about this potential rumor, then it is what it is, a rumor. It's one of those bad cases of I'm hearing, which Dan Patrick told me right to my face from the Dan Patrick School of Sportscasting at Full Sail University. He cannot stand these two words, I'm hearing, because if you're hearing something, that doesn't necessarily mean it's true if you don't have a source. And for me, I don't buy it. All right, what I do buy is our right and wrong segment. It's time to get to it here, and then we'll close it up here on the Turning Points Podcast. Our right and wrong segment is a special story that we feel like is not getting the other side of the story to why this NBA team has decided to start from scratch. First off, the, there were two firings that happened over the weekend. One was Elvin Gentry was fired from the Pelicans as head coach, but then the Bulls finally finished the job and fired head coach Jim Boylan after a horrible, abysmal record of 39-84, and 84, and that potentially could end the chances of having a legit coach come to Chicago. Because underneath General Manager Gar Foreman and Vice President of Basketball Operations John Paxson, the best they could get to was one Eastern Conference Finals back in 2010 when Tom Thibodeau and Derrick Rose were crushing it in Chicago. But they have not been to the playoffs since 2016, and when they did, they had Dwayne Wade and Fred Hoiberg as the coach. And I've always said that I was not a fan of Fred Hoiberg being the coach there. 
Now, the other side of this, though, is that this is a good thing because now the general manager has been replaced. The vice president of basketball operations has been replaced. And now the head coach, the three main, main blocks of building a team are gone. And now they finally can go get their third one because they went and hired former Nuggets general manager Arturis Karsasovas, who came from Lithuania, and they hired 76ers former vice president of basketball operations Mark Eversley as the general manager. He is also going to be the first black general manager in Bulls history, the seventh one in the NBA. And you're talking about a, a guy in Kar Karnasovas who drafted Jamal Murray in 2016 out of Kentucky, drafted Michael Porter Jr., gave him another chance, Monte Morris out of Iowa State, discovered Nikolai Jokic because he was able to grow the team's scouting network internationally. They brought in Bol Bol as well from the University of Oregon. They hired Mike Malone, who was unfairly fired from Sacramento, gave him a second chance, and now look, the Nuggets are in the third seed. And for once, I would actually like to see the Chicago Bulls in that. Because, honestly, they do have talent. But they need somebody that can actually utilize the talent. Because when you have Zach Levine doing a great job, Lauren Markkinen, and Kobe White, the rookie out of North Carolina, actually showing some three-point potential, there is a nucleus building in Chicago. But in order to do that, you have to have a shrewd general manager, former general manager, that is now the vice president of basketball operations for the Chicago Bulls and Mark Eversley, who's coming from the Sixers, to do something that has not happened in Chicago, building a championship. And by starting from scratch, this is the potential chance now for Chicago Bulls fans to be excited about this. But there are going to be those ups and downs. There's going to be a couple of moves where you sit there and be like, I don't agree with this. I don't want to, I don't want this to happen. But understand, these guys are coming from winning programs. They have had success. They have been able to rebuild correctly. They have been able to draft well. And they're going to continuously do this. Not to mention, it's history in the making also in that position for Chicago. And that is what is going to help. Because you can't just win. You can't win unless you replace everybody. Starting from the top with the vice president of basketball operations your general manager, and then your head coach. Because you need those three pillars in order to succeed in the NBA. If you don't have one of these, and there are two up there that were a complete disaster in Gar Foreman and John Paxson, and then you continuously have this, you're going to have the likes of Fred Hoiberg, Vinny Del Negro, and Jim Boylan in there as head coach. And now you're saying to yourself, what should they do next? Listen, you've made history. And you know that there is a team out there that is going to give this woman a chance. Becky Hammond has been waiting for a chance to be a head coach in the National Basketball Association. And it would do wonders if you were able to take her from San Antonio to Chicago to command this young nucleus and this highly successful Karnasovas and Mark Eversley and bring this in there because if there is nothing more than Chicago residents like is history being made and that could be a big one. So you, you're able to get rid of that final pillar that was Jim Boylan and now you can finally move on with that. Not to mention if you don't go get Becky Hammond, 
and she's taken from the San Antonio Spurs, that Greg Popovich calls it a career, then there you go. You get Mark Jackson. There are legitimate candidates out there. Make the right move, and you will see that starting from scratch, like a team from the Chicago Bulls who has not been to a final since 1998, since Michael Jordan hung it up for the Chicago Bulls, that was the last time any Bulls fan out there actually had that shred of championship victory. Well, it's the start. Now we'll see who's going to go to the finish line. All right, that'll do it for our right and wrong segment. If you have any comments or concerns, or you felt like that that subject was not talked about enough, go to at Wronghole Sports. That's R-O-N-G-H-O-L-T Sports. Been a phenomenal show. I want to thank Kelly Price, Fox 5 Atlanta, for joining us here on the Turning Points Podcast. We got big guests coming up next week. You don't want to miss it because we're going to have a little fun with a returning guest, Chris Krause of heavy.com. He's going to come on and talk about the NBA bubble and the playoffs and what he has felt like the National Basketball Association has learned also in this time. So that's going to be a lot of fun. So that's next week here on the Turning Points Podcast where we tell both sides of the story. And I thank you so much to everybody out there that has been listening to this podcast from the beginning. It is because of you that we continuously do this Turning Points Podcast weekly. So be with your friends, be with your family, wear a mask, and we will see you next time on the Turning Points Podcast, where we tell both sides of the story. I'm Jake Rongholt, and you've been listening to it right here on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Anchor. See you next time.